Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast, where we're committed to helping you know God, find freedom, discover your purpose, and make a difference. Let's get to today's message. Hey, what's up, everybody? My name is Aaron DeLong. I am the lead pastor here at Simple Church. I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you to all those of you that are tuning in today. Uh, we are in the last leg of this series that we're doing on King Solomon. Before we get there, just want to make sure we greet those of you that are in our online campus, those of you that are watching on Facebook, those that, of you that are listening through a podcast. Uh, so glad that you guys are tuning in today. You are, are, though you're online, you are part of our family and we're so glad that you're here today. We know that it's Memorial Day weekend. And so here's what I would love for you to do. Uh, no matter where you're at, if you're traveling somewhere or maybe you're just at home doing a staycation for this weekend, put in the comments, however you're watching, either on YouTube, either on Facebook, uh, in our online campus, put in the comments, where are you watching this from right now? Now, because we know quite a few of you are traveling, my hope is, is that I get somebody that says, I'm out on a boat right now. In fact, I may give a prize for the most exotic or coolest location. So share there in the comments. And again, we're just so glad that you're with us. We know that, it, that it's a holiday weekend and we just appreciate you making time to prioritize uh, giving attention to God's word and making sure that, that uh, you have your heart full of what God has to say to you and to us as a church. I celebrate that with you. Thanks for being with us. Now, like I said, we are wrapping up this series on King Solomon. And uh, let's go to our key verse real quick, and then I'll get into what we've been talking about and where we're going today. Uh, this verse kind of sets the has set the pace for the entire series and given us an understanding of why Solomon was somebody that we should look at. So it's from 1 Kings chapter 10, verses 23 through 24. It says this, that King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all of the kings, uh, other kings of the earth. And the whole world sought audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom that God had put in his heart. So Solomon was worldwide famous and he was known for not just his wealth, but his wisdom and people came from all around to hear him and that's why we're tuning in our hearts and our minds to hear what he had to say. First week we talked about how Solomon was introduced as an untested king. Somebody believed in him. Somebody put him in a place where he was soft, didn't know what he was doing and and how God uh, uh, got him through that as a brand new king. Then week two, we talked about the necessity of wisdom. Wisdom is the application of knowledge. It's, it's taking what we know and actually putting it into use. And we talked about the value of wisdom and why we need it and where we get it and how we get it. You want to listen to that message. Last week, we talked about how Solomon's life trajectory was changed because of the relationship. So we talked about him as the relational king and how not only was he propelled into his destiny, but in the end, the last half of his life, how relationships tore him away from God's plan and God's purpose for his life and caused him to falter and to serve other gods and to land in a place where God said, I'm going to take your kingdom from you and I'm going to give it to someone else. Relationships matter. It was an important message, and I hope that if you haven't had an opportunity to listen to it yet, that you pay attention to it, especially especially those of you that are students, those of you that are college age, and at the beginning of your life, your relationships, the people you surround yourself with, absolutely matter. So make sure you take a look at that. Today, we're going to talk about 
Solomon as the excellent king because Solomon had a level of excellence uh, in his life and the way that he did all that he did. And of course, he did all that as a reflection of or as a uh, uh, he did all of it flowing from his relationship with God. And so there's this incredible story where the queen of Sheba, uh, which is one of one of the one of the queens that, that came to see him, somebody that was seeking after his wisdom. And uh, it's it, this encounter is really powerful. And we're really going to examine these next couple verses. And it's where we're going to hang our hat today. So it's first Kings uh, chapter 10, verses four through five. And it says, when the queen of Sheba saw all of the wisdom of Solomon in the palace he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his officials, the attending servants in their robes and his cupbearers and the burnt offerings he made at the temple of the Lord, she was overwhelmed. The queen of Sheba was bowled over by the splendor of Solomon. This word overwhelmed means that she was kind of breathless. She was kind of taken back. She was like, man, I can't believe that what I'm experiencing, what I'm seeing is actually this good. She was impacted by his level of excellence. She was bowled over by the splendor of Solomon. In other words, that word that was in the scripture said that she was overwhelmed. The overwhelmed means that she was breathless, like that what she had seen had taken her breath away. She was impacted by the level of excellence that she saw across Solomon's kingdom. I, I don't know, have you ever been to a place like that where the level of excellence left you breathless? I'll tell you one of the one of the environments that I find myself in uh, often that they they consistently provide an excellent environment, which makes me want to go there repeatedly. Even though the place is always jam packed with people, the lines are always long, but the food is always so stinking good. The employees are always so nice. In fact, they have keywords and phrases that they have to say to you. Like, it, by the way, it's Chick-fil-A. Okay. Just so you know what I'm talking about. The, the employees, if you say thank you, they have to say back to you, my pleasure. Like the way that they talk to you is scripted specifically to create an environment of excellence so that when you encounter it, you go, man, this is something different. The food is excellent. You can go in and sit down at a table and with your phone, you can boop the little thing on your phone and you can order your food. Don't even have to stand in line. Order your food on your phone and they will bring it to you at the table like, like you're at a fancy restaurant. They have always have a play place for kids and they're constantly doing activities for families. And then even the music that you're listening to, if you pay attention to the music that you're listening to, it's all instrumental worship music. And man, I really love that. They strive for a, uh, an environment of excellence, and it continues to drive people there. You say, well, what, what does that? What, what causes a company to do that? Well, I'll tell you what, they've got a purpose. Uh, from their website, it says this. It says, our purpose from the beginning was that Truett Cathy based his business on biblical principles that he believed were also good business principles. And since 1982, our corporate purpose has guided all that we do. We keep our purpose front and center because it helps us to steward our business and our work to positively influence everyone we meet. This is right on their website. And here is their purpose. You ready for it? It is to glorify God by being a faithful steward of all that is entrusted to us, to have a positive influence on all who come in contact with Chick-fil-A. In fact, they do just that. 
They impact everybody that they come into contact with. Even if you've had a bad experience at Chick-fil-A, it's probably the best bad experience you've ever had, right? The, the founder of Chick-fil-A, Truett Cathy, when he was, they were, he was in a business meeting and they were talking about how do we grow our business? He, his comment was simply this. If we get better, our customers will demand that we get bigger. He understood that a level of excellence would cause people to demand that there be more Chick-fil-A locations. And I'm so excited to tell you that, that the Chick-fil-A here in Reynoldsburg, there's one right on Broad Street, but there's another one getting ready to be out here on 256, right, right where Reynoldsburg meets up to Pickerington. And I couldn't be more excited. We've got two Chick-fil-A's here, right? And Chick-fil-A's fame has spread because of their desire to consistently be better to raise the bar of what excellent looks like. You can tell that because there are people lined up around the building two times to get them some Jesus chicken. Like that's serious, serious level of excellence. And Chick-fil-A and Solomon, they have these strong beliefs that impact what they do and how they do it. And for both of them, it has led to environments of excellence that have made them famous. Because see, that's what will happen. When people, because people are impacted when they encounter excellence. In fact, they'll not only have this deep experience that they'll love and they'll want to return to, they'll tell other people about how it made them feel. And the queen of Sheba was no different. She was breathless. She was overwhelmed. And her response, the thing that came out of her mouth in verse nine, after she saw all that was going on in Solomon's kingdom was to say this, Praise the Lord, your God. Her response was, whatever it is you're doing, whatever is your motivation, whatever is in your heart, whatever's guiding all of this, I'm going to praise it. And he, I no doubt, told her that this, all of this flows from God. All of this flows from my relationship, from his belief in his God and the law that God had given to him. There's no doubt. Because her response was, praise the Lord, your God. This is why it matters, guys, that when your why or the reason for your excellence, the excellence in your life is your relationship with God, people will see it. And ultimately what will happen is that people will turn to him. We see this in scripture. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds. In other words, let your light shine. That's, that's just let your level of excellence be plain. Work on it. Let them see it so that they can see your good deeds and in turn glorify your father in heaven. That, that term glorify your father in heaven means to say, praise your God. Tell me more about him. It opens the door to a spiritual conversation where you get to tell them about Jesus and how he's made a difference in your life. And guys, this is why we're here. We are here to reach people far from God. You want to reach them? Your life of excellence and the way that you live it matters. It literally can be the thing that turns people towards God. We have an opportunity to turn people towards God every day through our everyday, ordinary lives that are lived with excellence. Hear me again. It's not about extraordinary. It's about the ordinary lives the ordinariness of our lives that is lived with excellence. 
So let's take a look at that passage of scripture again. Let's take a look and see uh, see what queen, the Queen of Sheba saw because uh, the, the different things that she saw that were excellent to her are applicable to us. And I'm going to show you how you can live a life of excellence through what she saw. So let's go back to it. First Kings 10 verse 4 says, when the Queen of Sheba saw all the wisdom of Solomon. So here's my question for you. And, I, and I'm, I'm going to ask you these questions intentionally at each point, because I want to, to uh, help you determine what is your level of excellence? Where, where should that line be for you? And, and what are the biblical lines for it, right? So I'm going to ask you the question, am I making wise choices? That's what you have to ask yourself. If you're living a life of excellence regarding wisdom, is are you making wise choices. A couple weeks ago when I did the message on uh, Solomon, the wise king, Proverbs 4, 7, we talked about it in multiple translations, but it says getting wisdom is the most important thing you can do. That's Solomon. He actually wrote that. That's one of his Proverbs. And again, wisdom is the application of knowledge. So, so are we choosing wisely? Are we taking what we know to be right and applying it to our life? Because you know, almost every situation has a right and a wrong, right? You know, we, for years I watched cartoons and there was always a situation with one of the cartoon characters and maybe it was Bugs Bunny or Daffy Duck, but, but they were confronted with a choice that they had to make. And then there was this little red version of themselves that represented the, the demon voice or the devil voice in their, in their heads. And then there was a little white version of themselves, like fully white, looked like an angel with wings and, 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 and had a halo. And, and it said, Said, and it was the, the angelic or the, the God version of themselves. It was the right versus wrong. And, and they were talking to each other. And, and it was important that, that who they listened to determined whether or not they would make a wise decision. Bugs Bunny would say, if I do it, I get a whooping. I do it. And he'd throw a pie in somebody's face or whatever the situation might be. But, but when we're faced with the decision, choosing wisely, well, it matters. Because if we choose unwisely, it leads to chaos. It leads to wasted opportunities. It leads to pain. It leads to extra work that we don't need to make. You know, years ago, I, I went, uh, this was when I was a senior in high school. We went to Florida uh, when my, my, uh, my buddy, uh, Brent, and I went to Florida with my mom. And we were going because my uncle and aunt uh, were photographers and they were going to take my senior pictures. And uh, so this is the summer of 1996. And we, we went to Florida, we went to the beach, we went and had so much fun, got some great pictures, made some incredible memories, and then we're coming home, and we're at this airport. It's, in, it's at the Gainesville Airport, which is a one-gate airport. That means that everybody walks out the same, the same doorway to get to the plane on the tarmac. You actually have to walk out onto the tarmac and climb the stairs there. There's nothing fancy like it is here at Columbus, or if you've ever been to, to the Atlanta airport, like it's, it's, it's just not that big. And when you go in, the person that greets you, if you had a rental car, it's that guy. If you go to get a ticket from Delta Airlines, it's that guy. If you get a ticket from Southwest, it's that guy. I mean, like he plays all the different roles at all the different desks and everything you could do in that airport. At least it felt like it. And my buddy and I, Brent, are, are getting our tickets and my mom is behind us. And, you know, I check in and, and, and always, I always thought it was really funny, but they used to ask you this question whenever you got your tickets and you checked in. We didn't have TSA at the time. Uh, and, and they would say, uh, has anybody approached you and asked you to carry on a bag or, or have your bags been with you at all times? And so they ask you this line of questions and you would say, nobody's asked me. And yes, my bags have been with me. 
Well, my buddy Brent was was faced with a decision, and uh, and he chose to answer the question unwisely, uh, and and he said, "Because uh, see, you need to understand, this was the summer of 1996. Uh, Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber, had just been caught and apprehended that summer for for the, the devastation that he caused, and my friend Brent looks at the guy." He laughs and he says, yeah, some dude with a white beard and a hoodie came up and asked me to carry a bomb onto the plane. And he laughed and I laughed. The guy behind the counter laughed. And then, it, then the guy behind the counter got really silent. And he said, and now we're going to have to search your bags. True story. I can't make this up. It was, it was the craziest thing. They grabbed my buddy Brent, took him back. Security grilled him. And when my mom got upset with him, he said it was just a joke. It didn't really mean it. They grilled her. They opened up her camera and ruined her film footage and searched her bags and searched Brent's bags. And I'm just sitting out in the, in the terminal just like this, twiddling my thumbs like, nope, I ain't saying nothing. I'm not looking that way. I'm not doing anything. It was crazy, crazy because of this unwise moment, this unwise choice to make a joke in the moment. It was, uh, it, it was, it was wrong choice. We have to choose wisely when we're faced with decisions. In fact, one of the ways that, that we can, I'm going to help you today in looking at how can you choose wisely? What, what are some of the right decisions that you can make? What are the, some of the guideposts? They're actually found in what we call our culture playbook. Our culture playbook has five values or beliefs that are listed in them specifically with behaviors attached to them that will lead to specific outcomes that the Bible outlines for all of our lives. Those five beliefs are, uh, we have connection, uh, excellence, growth, generosity, and purpose. We are committed to those five things and excellence is on that list. So, so here's some ways to make wise decisions if you wanna create an excellent environment or an excellent experience with you that other people are watching, right? Because your choices are the summary. Your life is like, that's the summary of your life. So what you choose and how you choose are important. The first thing that we have outlined in our culture playbook is to underneath excellence is to do the right thing. What's the right thing in every situation? If you don't know, what's the most right thing? If both of the right, right things, what's the most right thing? And if you don't know the answer to that, how are you praying about this? Let the Holy Spirit lead you to a place of peace about what the right thing is, but always choose in the moment, what is the right thing? The second thing you can do is pursue the next level. Like at whatever you're doing, there is always a next level. There is a next step, whether that's in your finances, that's in your relationships, that's in your personal health. There's always a next level, a next level in your education, a next level in your spiritual walk. There's always a next level. So pursue that next level. Never get complacent. Don't just sit by idly and let life pass you by. Pursue the next level. Number three is no BCD. We call it no BCD, but it means no blaming. Man, no, no complaining and no defending. Man, when you're confronted with something that is, that is uh, uh, difficult in your life, maybe it's something you've done that was wrong or a decision you made, something you said, man, don't defend yourself. Just own that situation. No blaming other people. No, no complaining. Like nobody wants to be around anybody who wants to complain anyway. So, so no BCD, no blaming, no complaining, no defending. Number four, own the challenge. Like you're going to face some challenges in your life. And it's really, really important that you make a decision to own that challenge, to take ownership of it means like, this is my problem and I've got to figure it out. 
It doesn't mean that you have to do it alone. What it means is that you're gonna take ownership of it and know that you have the opportunity here to step up to the challenge. You might have to grow in some skill. You might have to bring somebody along to help you. You might have to get some education, but whatever that looks like, you're making the choice to own the challenge. Number five, be part of the solution. All of this is written in our culture playbook, but being part of the solution means that that when there's a problem, you're gonna be vanilla ice. Yo, you'll solve it, right? Or at least you're gonna be part of that solution. You're gonna choose to not just present problems to people. You're gonna present problems with solutions. If you see a problem, you're gonna be willing to be part of it. This, These kind of decisions, these choices, will lead you to environments of excellence. So am I making wise choices. Second thing the queen of Sheba saw, we'll go back to chapter 10, verse four through five. It says the palace he had built and the food on his table. So she's looking at his house. She's looking at how he ate. She's looking at the environment that he found him in, himself in, in social circumstances. And so the, the question that we have to ask ourselves in comparison with Solomon and his excellent environment is am I managing what God has given me well? Am I managing what God has given me well? What this comes down to is a spiritual discipline called stewardship. I talked about it this past week at Third Thursday. It means how you care for what you have because you're not an owner of anything. God has given you stuff to manage. So we have to look at all of our life, every area of our life, as if we have a responsibility to manage it because it all belongs to God. In fact, it does. In 1 Corinthians 6, 9, Uh, excuse me, 19, it says that you are bought with a price. That's the tattoo on my wrist here. That's why I'm looking there. It says you're bought with a price. You're not your own. That means everything you have, that every part of you, you, from your calendar to your wallet, to your relationships, all of it belongs to God. And so are you managing what God has given you well? Are you managing your time well? Or are you lazy and wasted? Are you intentional with your time? Because here's the thing, the one thing we all have that's the same isn't opportunities, it's time. And the thing about time is you can't get more of it, right? You, you, you've, got, you've got the same amount of hours in every day that I've got. And so are you, are you using that with intentionality? Are you using that time and managing it wisely? Your relationships. What, tell me about your marriage. Is your, is your marriage thriving? Is your family healthy? What about your friendships? Are they strong because you intentionally invest in them? Are you managing the relationships well? What about your home? What about your belongings, your car? Are, are, is it in disarray? Is it, is it, or is it clean inside? Like you can learn a lot about somebody by how they maintain what they've been given, whether it's, whether it's clean. I didn't say perfect. I didn't say spotless. You know the difference between a, a car that is, that is clean as best as it could possibly be and a house that's as clean, as good as it can be for the moment versus living in total trash and filth. Like, you know the difference, right? Uh, what about your finances? Do you have a financial plan? What about a budget? Do you, do you have a plan for generosity in your life or your physical health? You know, there's quite a few of us that, that aren't managing our bodies well because we've got some aches and pains in our lives and we just don't want to go to the doctor because, oh, geez, I've got the, it'll be a process of this and he's going to tell me this and I don't want this. We just kind of push back from that stuff. So, so we don't go and take care of our bodies. We don't eat the right kind of foods. We don't, we don't go and work out. And I know, I know I'm preaching to the choir. I've looked at myself in the mirror multiple times today, but I'm working on it, right? So, so are we maintaining our physical health? What about our mental health? 
Are we intentional about making sure that we rest? Are we taking a Sabbath one day a week where we, we committed to just resting and celebrating God and who he is? Because that's what a Sabbath is. It's literally a day to celebrate. It's a festival, a weekly one where God wants us to rest and trust that, that he'll do more in the six days that we give him working than we could do with the seven days if we chose to not rest. Like, are we resting? Are we, are we being intentional and taking naps? Or are we doing things that re-energize us, like going on walks and attending to our hobbies? Or what about our spiritual journeys? We're, we're all on a spiritual journey, and, and you know what that is. We've been talking about it extensively for the past few weeks. It's knowing God. Are you being intentional about spending time with God and Finding freedom, which is our grow groups, you know. I, I hear from so many people that they join a group once. I, I did that once. But you know what? Finding freedom is an ongoing process. There's tons of areas of our lives that could still be getting better at the next level, right? Pursuing that next level spiritually. Discovering your purpose. Taking growth track and finding out how has God wired you and made you right now to make a difference? Are, are you committed to these things? It's important that we, we ask ourselves the question, am I managing what God has given me well? Next area of excellence that the Queen of Sheba saw in verse five was, it says the seating of his officials, so his leadership, the attending servants in the robe, so like his servants or his team members, and his cupbearers. Now his cupbearer, by the way, I've often thought of a cupbearer as being somebody that was disposable because a cupbearer is somebody that would drink before the king would drink and they would taste it. And if there was any poison in it, then they would die. And really, cupbearers weren't disposable. They were somebody that actually had the, some of the closest proximity to the king. These were the most trusted people that he knew because he would trust them to let him know if there was poison. And he would trust them to, to drink the drink so that he would be safe, to protect him. He trusted these people. And these people are the ones that, that the way he treated them was what was so impressive to the Queen of Sheba. She was impressed by how he treated not just his leadership, what, what we might call like our political officials, our city leaders, or the leaders of the world. These were the important people how he treated the important people to those that were considered less than. This whole variety of people, she loved it. And so I have to ask you, in this area of your life, here's the question. Am I treating people right? You know, in your interactions with people, do you demonstrate that you value them? Do you tell them and show them how much you love them by your interactions? Are you patient with them when they can't get it right and they ask questions over and over again or seem to have some difficulty in an area that they're trying to grow in? Are you patient with their lack of knowledge? Are you patient with their journey? Are you patient with yourself? Are you kind? Are, are, are you kind to those around you? Are you gentle in your responses? Are you somebody who is a peacemaker, not a peacekeeper? See, a peacekeeper says, well, I'm just going to hold my tongue and not say anything. But a peacemaker goes to a brother or a sister when you know that there's an issue, the Bible says, when you know your brother has an issue with you, go to him and make it right. Are you a peacemaker? Somebody who seeks peace within the body of Christ and with your brother and your sister and those you're in relationship with? Are you good? Are you somebody who would be called faithful in your relationships? Would you be called self-controlled in the way that you dealt with someone? 
Would, would anyone call you graceful or merciful or generous in the way that you treat people? And not just for your spouse and for your kids and your neighbor and your friends. Those are the easy ones to love. But what also, what about that new person, the, the new person at church or the new kid in class at school? Or what about your employees? Just because you're the boss, does that mean that you talk to everybody like they're, like they're nobody? Like they're worthless? Like they're disposable? What about your coworker? It's constantly frustrating you and you feel like you're having to carry their work. How do you love them well? How do you treat them? What about the waitress at the restaurant? Just seems to be having a bad day and everything's taking way too long. You know, it always cracks me up how people come to church on Sunday and they throw their hands up and they worship God and they treat everybody that at their, they're in their community so great. And then they go out to a restaurant and they treat a waitress so poorly. How are you treating people when you think that they don't matter. Or, or what about the people who look different than you? What about somebody who's got a different skin color than you, different nationality than you? I can tell you this, a, a few years back, uh, I, I had a meeting set up with a, a, a Nepali man here in, in our community, which by the way, the Nepali people were some of the fastest growing uh, people, people groups in the city of Reynoldsburg. I mean, their numbers are growing exponentially. And a few years ago, I was meeting with, with, uh, with somebody from my community who was Nepali. I just wanted to hear their story. And, and, uh, and, and he had to call and cancel because he had a medical emergency. And, and I heard the Holy Spirit tell me after I, I got off that phone call to, to reach out and say, hey, I'd like to make you a meal. And I pushed back and I said, no, I'm not going to do that. I, I, I don't know him. I don't know what he eats. I don't know his family. And the Holy Spirit said, how would you treat him if he was a friend? I said, well, I'd, I'd make him a meal. I'd, I'd figure out what he needs. He says, make this man a meal. And so I reached out to him and said, hey, can I make you a meal for you and your family? What, what do you guys eat? And he responded with, you know what? I'm surrounded by my family. My parents are here and they're all taking care of us. Thank you so much. But in recalling that story, and I have stood with him multiple times in front of multiple different people. And when he recalls that story to other friends of ours with tears, he says, I've never had anybody love me that way. How do you treat people that are different than you? What about that person online who's making ignorant comments? Or how about your enemies? You say, Aaron, I don't have any enemies. <laughs> like, you know, mortal enemies. Nobody's trying to kill me. Yeah, but you got people that don't like you. Maybe you've got an ex-boyfriend or an ex-girlfriend. There's a reason that they're exes. And, and these are not people who contribute to your life in any way. How do you love them? Or what about those who have hurt you? There are biblical standards for how we love and treat people, specifically our enemies, those that are difficult to love, those that are different from us. So the question is that, I, that you got to answer is how, how am I treating people right? Am I treating people according to God's standards? Because that would be a level of excellence. And we see the way Jesus treated men, women, people of, of, of different backgrounds, of different nationalities. We see that Jesus was constantly this bridge for people to experience God's love. And when you treat people right, it opens the door for them to do that. Next one, the Queen Sheba saw. This is verse five, back to verse five again. It said, the burnt offerings he made at the temple of the Lord. So Solomon made this grand gesture. He, he, he made a, a big, a big sacrifice. And this was a regular thing. And so the question in response to what the Queen of Sheba saw for you is to ask yourself, Am I worshiping sacrificially? Am I worshiping 
sacrificially. First of all, let's just kind of land on what worship is. Worship is expressing love towards God. And, and when we talk about doing it sacrificially, we mean doing it in a way that costs you something. Doing it in a way that maybe you don't particularly want to do. Like, like when we talk about worshiping God, like, like through song, that we have the invitation on Sunday mornings as we're worshiping to lift your hands, to clap, to shout, to dance if you want to, 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 to cry out to him, to bow. Like these are ways that God has prescribed in his word that he likes to receive love from us. Remember, that's what worship is. It's expressing love towards God, doing it sacrificially for you. If you don't like lifting your hands, if you're not comfortable, that, that might be the sacrificial expression sacrificial, worshiping sacrificially is what Solomon did that created this environment of excellence is what was impressive to to the queen of Sheba is that he was willing to worship in a way that cost him something. It cost him his desires. It cost him his agenda. It cost him his personal, his, his, um, what he wanted. I already said that it was his desires, but it, it cost him something in order to do that, to worship in that way. In fact, 2 Chronicles describes the way that Solomon worshiped. And it said this in chapter one, verse six through 10. Solomon went up to the bronze altar before the Lord in the tent of meeting and offered a thousand burnt offerings on it. Now, if Solomon was just a regular dude, a regular offering would have been, would have been substantial, would have cost people a lot to, to offer a, a heifer or a bull on that offering or on that altar. But Solomon went, he's not a regular dude. He's the wealthiest guy in the world. And he offers a thousand burnt offerings on him. This, this form of sacrificial worship is something he learned from his dad. He learned that proper worship has to cost us something by watching David. David was caught, his dad was caught in a situation where he had sinned against God. And as a result, God was sending a punishment upon his kingdom. And David prayed for God to relieve uh, release that punishment from the people to not punish them for his sin. And God said, go and purchase a threshing floor and offer a sacrifice there. And I'll cease, uh, I'll cease the pestilence. I'll cease the, the plague that he'd sent out. And so David goes to a man and uh, his name was Aruna is the best way I know to pronounce it. You'll, you'll see it here on the screen in a second. And he, he talks to him about what he wants to do. And he's like, I want to purchase your, your threshing floor and I want to make a sacrifice right here. I'd also like to purchase your ox and, uh, and, and I'm going to sacrifice him to God right here. And Aruna's response to him, to David was to, no, 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 no. Here, just have it all for free. Just, just take it. He, he loved his king. He was in good relationship with him. No, 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 my king. Here, just have it. But watch David's response. And this is where Solomon learned it. Second Samuel 24, 24, it says, but the king replied to Aruna, No, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen and paid 50 uh, shekels of silver for them. That very threshing floor is where Solomon built the temple of God. Solomon and David understood what it meant to sacrifice. That to worship sacrificially meant that they needed to give in a way that it cost them something. Oftentimes, worshiping sacrificially, again, is, it's just not a price that we want to pay. One of the other ways that we can worship God, express love to him, is through obedience. Obedience to his word is so important. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. In fact, I will tell you that it, when you do love Jesus, it's easy to obey him. But, but obedience is 
the very best way to show that you believe that you love him. And even that means obedience in the face of, of adversity. It means obedience in the face of you wanting to do the polar opposite of that situation. Like we, we have to get into God's word and find out what it is God has for us so that we can express this level of worship through obedience. You can also express worship through your time. Like, like giving of your time, being, making sure that, that you prioritize a time of being in daily prayer, reading your Bible, and daily worship, in corporate worship, which means gathering together as a church, whether that's all underneath the same building or all at the same time, worshiping God together from various different places like we're doing right now in this online en- environment. It even includes prioritizing your relationships with other believers, loving and serving, doing all the one another's that the Bible talks about how you're to do that. You can worship God with your treasure, your finances. You know, Solomon tells us, he encouraged us to, uh, in the Proverbs, to honor God with our first fruits. That's the principle of tithing. It's giving it to God first, giving him 10%. That's literally what tithing means, giving God a tenth of all that we earn and trusting that he can do more with our 90% than we can do with 100%. So we give him a tenth and we give it to him first. We don't wait until we see if we've got enough left over. We don't wait until we've done all the things that we want to do and purchased all the things that we want to purchase and had all the tacos we want to eat. We give it first and 10. We do the 10% First, that's tithing. That's a way to honor God with our first fruits and our treasures. We can also honor God through our offerings as well. This is anything we give above and beyond the tithe. It's us looking, God, I just want to love you. I want to express my love to you through my finances, through being generous, through giving, whether that's to a church, to a, to a charitable organization, or to somebody that you personally know that is in need. You can honor God with your treasure through your tithes and your offerings. You can also honor God with your talent. You know, God gave you every single gift that resides inside of you, every single passion that you have. Whether that means you're an artist or you're interested in, 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 in mechanical engineering or whatever, whatever all that is, whatever your passions are within you, God gave you each one of those. He wired you. He created you in the womb to do a very specific thing. And you can take all that you have and all that you are as far as your talents go and use them to serve God and others as an act of worship. And one of the last ways and most important ways that you can worship God is by giving him trust. Trust means that we give up control. We let God be God. We trust him. This is an act of worship to say, God, I'm in pain. I don't understand, but I trust you. Hey, God, I wanted this thing to go this way. It's not going that way. I'm disappointed and sad, but I trust you. Hey, God, I don't have enough money at the end of the month to pay my bills, but I trust you where you're faced with a situation where you could act your own will, but instead you choose to let God be God. You let him have control. Let things play out in a way that it's not favorable to you, but you trust God. Living like this is sacrificial worship. And it's specifically towards God. And let me tell you something, my friends. It is excellent. So are you making wise choices? Are you managing what God has given you well? Are you treating people right? And are you worshiping sacrificially? You know, living a life of excellence will cost us something. But I promise you this, the reward is worth it. You know, when you get to heaven, there's two judgments that happen. The first one is, do you know Jesus? And the people who know Jesus get into heaven. Those that don't, 
will spend eternity in separation from God. The second judgment is, how did you live your life? What did you do with all that God gave you? What did you do specifically with Jesus? Did you live a life of excellence? Did you leverage it all so that people could know Jesus? And if you live a life of excellence, what will happen? That means living out God's best for you. It will ultimately turn people to God. It will have them asking the questions. What's different about you? And in that moment, is our, respons- is our response should be to tell them that it's God's blessing on our life, to tell them the difference that Jesus has made in our lives. So here we go back to the stories. We wrap up today's message, 1 Kings, verse 6 through 9. This is Queen Sheba, the Queen of Sheba. And she said to the king, the report I heard in my own country about your achievements and your wisdom is true. But I did not believe these things until I came and saw with my own eyes. Indeed, not even half was told me. In wisdom and wealth, you have far exceeded the report I heard. She's talking about the level of excellence that she experienced in King Solomon. How happy your people must be. How happy your officials who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Praise be to the Lord your God who has delighted in you and placed you on the throne of Israel. Because of the Lord's eternal love for Israel. See, now she's talking about God's love, not just God's blessing. Watch this. This is awesome. He has made you king to maintain justice and righteousness. My friends, today, if you want people to see Jesus in your life, pay the price it takes to live a life of excellence according to God's word. Amen, everybody. Let's pray. Father, today I pray for each and every person that is following Jesus today. Lord, help us, God, in these four arenas of our life to live a life of excellence. Lord, to help us to make wise choices in the face of every choice that we have to make, whether that's big choices or the small choices in the, in the, in the um, mundane and common moments of our lives to the super important and critical moments of our life. God, give us wisdom to make the right choices. Lord, also help us to manage all that you've given us well. Lord, we want to be good stewards. When we get to heaven, we want you to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Lord, help us, give us wisdom to know how to manage all that you've given us, our time, our treasure, our talent, our relationships, our bodies, our mental health, our spiritual journeys. Lord, everything you've given us, may we manage it well. And then God, I pray, Lord, that that in regards to our treatment of of people, Lord, I pray that you you would help us to love all people equally. Lord, that we would be a church that is willing to reach across the dividing lines that exist, the political lines that exist, the the racial lines that exist, the social lines that exist, the economic lines that exist, Lord, the the, 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 uh, uh, nationality lines, Lord, every line that exists, may, may we be willing to reach across and to love people like Jesus loved people. Lord, help us in our treatment of others to be excellent to each other. And then, Lord, I pray, I pray, God, that you would help us to live lives of sacrificial worship, where we sacrificially express our love to you, Lord. May we not just give of what we have left over, of our time and of our energy, of our finances, of who we are. May we give in a way that prioritizes you first. May we give sacrificially to you and to others. Lord, help us, help us be a light to others. Help us point people to Jesus with our lives and our good deeds. 
Now in this moment, as we're praying and wrapping up, you know, there are those of you that you find yourself in a position where you don't know Jesus, where, where God is, that relationship uh, with God it, it is not your, your, your beacon. It is not your belief system. It's not part of what you know. And, it, and let me tell you something, you are one step away from having all that God intends for you. You can have, you can come to know him, have a relationship with him, begin to, to get into his word and not only have it in your head, but have it in your heart. You just need to begin a relationship with God today. You can know him and the way that you can know him is through his son, Jesus. See, Jesus came to this earth and he paid a price for every single one of us, a price we could not pay. And it's for our own sins. He died on a cross, was raised from the dead on the third day, and now he dwells in heaven, but he sent his spirit to this earth to dwell inside of us, to help us live lives that are full and fulfilled so that we can experience a bit of heaven on earth and heaven in eternity when we pass from this life. God loves you so much. He's not angry with you. He just wants to be in relationship with you, and he desperately, desperately desires that. So today, if you wanna be in a relationship with God and begin living a life of excellence according to his word, letting that be the beacon for your life, letting that be the reason for why you live your life and how you live your life like Solomon did, like we do as believers. If you're ready for that, man, pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I need you. Today, make me brand new. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your spirit and show me how to live for you and teach me to tell others about you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Man, if you prayed that prayer today, we celebrate that with you. Heaven celebrates that with you. The Bible says when one person turns, that every, every angel and every person in heaven is having a party. And so there's a party that is being had right now in your honor. And so we celebrate that with you. We would love to, as a church, be part of what your next steps look like. And so if you said yes to Jesus, you click that button in the online campus that I'm raising my hand and saying yes to Jesus. Or if you're in any other venue, take the next step, which is to fill out our digital connect card. It, what it does is it lets us know, A, you've made a commitment today, which you need to tell somebody about. And B, it gives us an opportunity to come alongside of you and support you as your spiritual family, because that's who we are, your family to us, even though if we haven't met, over this online environment. We cannot wait to meet you in person and you can join us. We have some monthly gatherings that are that are happening now and we're so excited about those, but but, but we wanna be your, your spiritual family. We wanna help you take your next steps on this spiritual journey to knowing God, finding freedom, discovering your purpose and making it a difference. Filling out that digital connect card, which you'll find in the description of the videos, or if you're in the online campus, you'll find it here as one of the drop down buttons and options for you. Uh, but, but please take a moment to fill that out. And even if God is just doing something in your life and you're taking a step and, and, and it's, an, it's a step of faith in some other area of your life, maybe it's not, it's not your first step, maybe it's your 20th step or your fifth step, but, but you're taking a step, man, I would love to hear that story and celebrate that with you. You can also do that in the digital connect card. And if you'll, you'll click a button, the button that says, share my story, that comes right to me. And I would love to celebrate that with you and talk to you about what God is doing with you and in your life. Amen, everybody. All right, well, as we wrap up, I want to give you an opportunity to give. All the ways to do that are here on this screen. 
Uh, those of you that have decided to, to uh, give of your tithes and your offerings, anything above that tithe and the offerings, you can do that here. If you're a guest with us, you're under no obligation to give. We're just really glad that you're here with us today. Um, but for those of you that, are, that, that God has spoken to your heart to do so, you can, you can mail things in, you can text to give, you can use our app or our website, uh, and that is safe and secure for everybody. Uh, and you can even set up recurring giving if you'd like to do that all there. Uh, within those methods. So again, thank you for your faithfulness to that. Thank you for your obedience and your generosity. We really appreciate you guys. Uh, as I wrap up today and we wrap up this series, just know that we're gonna start next week with a, uh, a two-week series that's just a short little um, series. And then we're gonna be gathering together on June 20th for Father's Day. And I've got a special message on Father's Day for all of the dads. Super excited to preach that message. Cannot wait to see you guys in person. I love you. Hope you have an incredible week, but we'll see you right back here next week online. Thanks, Simple Church. God bless you.